and say Happy Easter. My name is Beck, and I'm going to be sharing from the passages that Kirsten read for us from John's Gospel this morning. And I love that we've come today um, not to the cross, but to this beautiful tree. And to a garden, Mary went, a place of life and flourishing, and she comes to the tomb of Jesus. But first of all, who is this Mary? It's Mary Magdalene. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's not Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, who anointed Jesus' feet and washed it with, wiped it with her hair. It's the much speculated about Mary, Mary of Ma- Mary Magdalene. Uh, there's a movie about her that's just come out. I haven't seen it. Uh, you might know the Da Vinci Code which speculated about the nature of her relationship with Jesus, or you might remember Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, which speculated about her past. But what do we really know about this Mary? Because this passage we come to is actually a passage that fuels the speculation about her relationship with Jesus. It's hard to see you around this tree. We don't know much. We know she's from Magdala. That's how she gets her name. It's a fishing town on the Sea of Galilee. So she grew up with fishing trade around her. But in Luke's gospel, Luke gives us a snippet. And here's what he tells us from Luke chapter 8. He writes, Jesus travelled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So what we know is that Mary was a woman who knew brokenness. She had been possessed by seven demons. Somewhere in her life, she'd come into contact with a dark spirituality. And though we don't hear the story of her first encounter with Jesus, I think we can assume that like the other stories in the New Testament where people are healed of demon possession, that it was a transforming moment for her. Because with a word, a single command, Jesus would drive out evil spirits and people's lives of chaos and trauma, of self-harm and harming others would come to an end and she would have been flooded with relief and peace, and safety. And so it's not surprising, is it, what Luke tells us, that she followed Jesus. She left her home, like these other women that are mentioned, who were also healed, and travelled with them as a group of disciples alongside Jesus and the male disciples. Maybe you don't know this, that there was a group of female disciples travelling alongside Jesus and the 12 that we're more familiar with. So Mary would have seen Jesus heal other people. She would have heard him teach with great wisdom and authority and insight. She would have got to know him and the other disciples. She would have made friends with them. She would have seen Jesus, this human being, this God in the flesh, full of grace and truth. And I guess she would have also been hoping and expecting that Jesus was about to bring God's kingdom in. With the other disciples, she'd have seen Jesus travelling into Jerusalem the week before on the donkey, heralded by many people. And yet, suddenly, the tables turned, didn't they? 
and how shocking for her and the others to see Jesus betrayed first by another friend and arrested and then tried and convicted and sent to death on a cross. How terrible. So many of the disciples fled. They fled when Jesus was arrested in the garden. Peter fled at the trial. He denied he even knew Jesus. There were not many left at the foot of the cross. But John tells us in chapter 19, he writes, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, another Mary, there's so many, and Mary Magdalene. And John was there too, the writer of John's Gospel. He calls himself the beloved disciple, the one who Jesus loves. It's his nice little name. It's how he inserts himself into the story. So whenever you hear the beloved disciple, know that it's John who writes this down. And so there they were, these women and John, at the foot of the cross. So Mary is a disciple and she is utterly devoted, isn't she, to be there at that point. And quite the gutsy woman, I think. She saw Jesus beaten and mocked and insulted. She saw him stripped and hung on a cross. She heard his cries of anguish and abandonment. She saw him die. She saw the spear thrust in his side. She saw him taken from the cross. She saw him wrapped in the linen cloths. She saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus carry him and place him in the tomb. Matthew says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sat opposite the tomb as they put him in there and rolled the stone in front. She was there the whole way. She wanted to see that Jesus' body was secure. And probably, to her disappointment, she had to wait because the Sabbath was coming. The disciples gathered to observe the Sabbath, but what she was waiting for was to do the one thing that she could do for Jesus. Because it was the women who cleaned and prepared the body for burial. But she didn't have time. And so all that Sabbath, as they grieved and feared alone in a room, she would have been thinking, I've got to go back to the tomb. And that's where we come, don't we, to the reading today. And it says that even before the dawn broke, Mary went with the spices to the tomb, wanting to prepare the body of Jesus. But what does she find? The stone is rolled away and the body's not there. And she thinks someone's stolen the body to add insult to injury, right? And she runs. And it's like this adrenaline surges through the whole story. She runs and everyone starts running. And look at how they react. She goes to the disciples. Someone's stolen the body. Peter and the beloved disciple, John, run back to the tomb. John gets there first. And if you want to be sure that John wrote this, you can be sure here because he boasts about winning the race. He gets there first, but he doesn't go in, does he? He hesitates. But Peter, true to form if you know Peter at all, runs and rushes straight in. And he sees and he looks and he rushes out again. We don't know what's going on in Peter's mind, but John tells us when he finally looks in, he himself, and sees the linen folded there, he believes. What does he believe? Well, he already knew that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. He's already said it. I take it when he sees the linen folded there, he believes that Jesus is risen. 
that he's alive. He hasn't even seen Jesus yet. Does this surprise you? Surprises me a bit. But Jesus had told them. He'd actually prepared them. He said, I'm going away and then I'll come back. You will be sad, you will be in your grief, and then it will turn to joy. He'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead some weeks before. It was not out of the expectation. John looks in the tomb and he believes. He doesn't understand the implications, but he knows, and he and Peter return to the other disciples. And Mary is left still in the garden. But she doesn't understand what's happened at all. She's still distraught. And even the presence of angels, did you notice that? Suddenly there are angels. Even the presence of angels can't help her see what's going on. They say to her, why are you crying? Woman, why are you crying? It's a good question, isn't it? Why are you crying? There are angels. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are neatly folded. She says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. And then Jesus is there. And he asks her the same question. Woman, why are you crying? Well, why is she crying? Why cry when Jesus is alive, when he's standing right before her? Well, she is deeply grieved, isn't she? So why doesn't Jesus say to her, stop crying, Mary, it's, look, it's me? Because it's not Jesus' way. Jesus is gentle and patient. He knows Mary. He knows what she saw. He knows that she's been by his side the whole way. He knows that she has shared in his suffering. By asking her a question, he's giving her a voice. He's inviting her to speak with him. Mary, why are you crying? Or woman, why are you crying? He hasn't said her name yet. And thinking he's a gardener, she says to him, if you've taken the body, tell me where it is so I can go and get it. She's grieving, but she's bold, isn't she? She's on a mission. I'm going to get the body back and lay Jesus to rest. And then Jesus speaks her name. Mary. And in that moment, (laughs) the lights come on. Remember, she comes in darkness and now the lights switch on. Teacher, she cries. And then what? Well, I take it from what Jesus said next that she grabs hold of him because he says, don't hold of me, don't take hold of me, doesn't he? I take it she says, teacher, and then she what? She hugs him, maybe. She feels his face. Is it really you? She embraces him. She falls at his feet. There's something very intimate about this scene, isn't there? But we're not supposed to see it as an exclusive intimacy. The thing that she calls him, teacher, she calls him. She doesn't even call him by his name. The thing she blurts out is teacher. That's what speaks of her relationship with him. She's a devoted disciple. They've travelled together. He's her friend. He knows her and she's gotten to know him. They are close. 
And this is the nature of Jesus' relationship with all his disciples. What does John call himself? The beloved disciple. In a couple of weeks, we'll see the story of Jesus coming to Peter and he asks him the same question three times. Do you love me, Peter? So it's not just Mary. This is how it is between Jesus and his followers. Caring and close, he calls her name and she responds with great relief and affection. And I think at that moment she probably didn't have very coherent thoughts, but perhaps as she holds him she thinks, it's going to be okay now. Everything's going to go back to the way it was. But Jesus doesn't want her to think that, does he? Because what does he say? Have a look. We're up to verse 17 and 18. Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me. Not because she's unable to. The risen Jesus is not just a spirit. He has a body that can be touched. Do not hold on to me, he says, because I've not yet ascended to the Father. You can hold on to me in this moment, Mary, but not forever because things are going to be different. So Mary has to let go. In chapter 1 of John, John explains that Jesus is the eternal word of God that becomes flesh and lives among us. Jesus took the same flesh that we have that ages, gets tired, gets sick and dies. And Jesus has died, hasn't he? And now he's risen in an eternal body, an imperishable body that is returning to his father. And his disciples will no longer be able to see and touch him in this age. So the nature of Jesus' life and body has changed and Mary needs to make a change too. Jesus wants her to embrace a new reality, to continue to know and love Jesus, but not face to face. And he sets her a new path. He says, don't hold on to me, go instead. He commissions her. Mary is the first person that Jesus commissions to go with the good news of his death and resurrection. And she does go with joy and tells the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them everything that he had said. And what did Jesus say that she should tell them? He said, go and tell my brothers, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus' death and resurrection means that his father and God is now also their father and God. He's at pains to point it out, isn't he? They are included in his victory over sin and brokenness and death. And so are we. Jesus ascends to the Father. He goes away from them in one sense, but really he's bringing them closer to the Father than ever before. So here is the other benefit of his death and resurrection. Jesus' disciples are no longer just friends and followers, but they are family. Go and tell my brothers, he says. Tell them we are siblings now. We have the same father and you belong with me. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read this story, I I feel a bit jealous of Mary. (laughs) She knew the earthbound Jesus, didn't she? She got to hang out with him, to cry with him, to speak with him, to laugh with him, one-to-one and face-to-face. 
Imagine how amazing that would have been. Imagine if Jesus was here at church today, bodily with us, sitting here. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Except what would happen at the end of the service? Who would get to invite Jesus home for lunch? See, uh, Kath wants to invite Jesus home for lunch, but Kath, I want to as well. And if he goes to my place, he can't be at your place. And if he goes to your place, he can't be at mine. In his resurrection glory, Jesus can minister to each one of us in an infinite way. His spirit is with us around the clock, here in this room, at home with us, across the world with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He couldn't stay in the garden with Mary because he needs to be here with us 2,000 years later. Well, just like the disciples responded in various ways to what was going on on that first Easter Sunday, it's likely that we too have different thoughts and responses in our heads and hearts today. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't really know if this crazy story is true. That's fair enough. I want to say to you, find out. Find out. Because wouldn't it be wonderful if death is not really the end of the story for Jesus and for us? Read John's book. John didn't write his book as some kind of pleasant fiction for us to enjoy. In fact, at the end of this chapter, chapter 20, he writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Read his book. Come along next week because we're going to hear about Thomas, who was quite the sceptic. Keep going. Or maybe you're here and you do believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But those words to Mary, now go and tell others, are leaving you cold. You know the facts, but that call to mission to share the good news is too hard, exhausting, even unappealing. And if this is you, I want to say go back to the garden. Remember, this picture of Mary with Jesus is a picture of Jesus with all his disciples. And it's not uncommon for people who've been Christian for a long time, especially in our culture, to lose the sense that Jesus is a real person and that he's personally interested in you. He knows your name and he's always ready to comfort and offer you his grace. There is no joyful going out and proclaiming without first knowing and being known by God. Jesus said to his disciples, he prepared for the new reality of not having him bodily with them. He said this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is with us by his spirit, and he's ready. And if you need help to re-engage with him, to pray again, to be refreshed in your faith. Don't be ashamed or worried about that. Talk to God or talk to someone else. I'd love to talk to people about that. I'm sure Peter would. And, um, or someone whose faith you admire or that you see joy and hope in. Ask them to tell you the secret.
Or maybe as you hear this story today, you believe it and you have a deep assurance that your life is safe in Jesus. You hear Jesus' words to Mary, do not hold on to me, but go instead and share this news, and you want to. You may not know quite how to do that, or maybe you do. Ask God to help you, to open up conversations about Jesus, who's the centre of your life. Expect to see his spirit at work in you and in the world as you do it. And may Jesus continue to be our joy and hope and consolation. Amen.